Thanks, Sylvia and Mona. Hi, everyone. My name is Lee. I'm also a minister here at All Saints. It's lovely to see you all, um, and also welcome for you on the live stream. Um, I'd love you to keep your Bibles open to those passages. We're going to be spending our time there this morning, um, but I'm going to pray before we get into it. So let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we we need you this morning. We need you as we come to your Word. Um, I need you as as I preach, um, and we need your spirit um, to hear, um, to really hear what you have to say to us. And I pray that your spirit would be at work. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, well, have you ever noticed that we have different rules for how we interact with different people? Uh, so, for example, when I visit my Italian family, um, you know, I have to say a few Italian words or respond in a few Italian words and have to kiss each other on both cheeks. Um, and sometimes there's a bonus third kiss, which I still haven't worked out after all these years why it comes or why it doesn't. Um, but when I'm at youth group on a Friday night and interacting with the youth, thankfully, things are different. Um, it's fist bumps and, and high fives and pats on the shoulder and that sort of thing. Um, the way we interact with each other is different depending on the person and the relationship. Um, and if you've been to another country and, and mixed with um, another culture, the way people interact is different. Um, I remember in Tanzania uh, that it's normal for, for guys to walk down the street holding hands. Um, not something I was used to, but just just went with it. That was cool. Um, and you might remember COVID, um, or it might be just like something that's sort of feels like it's coming back again, um, and how that has changed so much of the way that we interact with other people. Uh, for a long time, for large chunks, we just couldn't even see each other. Um, it had to be via Zoom. And then when we could, we needed to be vaccinated. Um, sometimes we have to wear masks, um, or we need to be symptom-free, or we need to have a negative rat test. Um, and even now, I feel like we're just not quite sure where everyone is at. Do you get that feeling? Um, are we back to hugging? Do we shake hands? Do we bump elbows? And everyone is different. Um, some of my family is back to the double or triple um, cheek kiss. And I don't know if everyone is on board with that. Um, but there's this worry that, wow, I might cross someone's line. Or they might cross my line. And there's this kind of anxiety as we interact with each other. And this issue is brought up in our passage this morning. Um, But instead, it's not with each other, it's with God. How do we draw near to God? How do we interact with God? You know, how do we have a good, authentic relationship with God? How do we make sure that the Christian life we're living isn't in vain? So you might come to church a lot, or you might not. Um, You might read the Bible every morning, uh, listen to Christian music, read Christian books. Um, You might connect with God by hanging out with and chatting with Christian friends, or some other way. Whatever it is, however you connect with God, how do you know that it's what God wants? Um, I remember making tea for someone in our Bible study group for 
at least three years before they finally cracked in a very gentle and caring sort of way um, and told me I'd been putting way too much milk in every time. Um, I'd been getting it wrong for so long and I had no idea. Have we been getting it wrong with God and just have no idea? How do we make sure we're not like the Pharisees and not fulfilling words like these? Worshipping God in vain. Out of everyone, the Pharisees were seen to have gotten it right by everyone else. But Jesus says, actually, you've got it all wrong. How do we know we haven't got it all wrong? Or even just a little bit wrong. How do we know we're relating to God in the right way? Well, let's talk about why we even need to be concerned. Why does Jesus say that some are far from him, that some are getting it wrong? What's the problem? Well, the problem with relating to God isn't cultural, it isn't COVID or sickness. It's actually inside us. The problem is within. So the Pharisees in our passage are having a dig at Jesus' disciples because they're not washing their hands before they eat food. Um, And we might be equally concerned about that. Um, But the Pharisees were trying to clean themselves up before God. This wasn't a hygiene issue for them. And I think we can fall into a similar trap. You know, we come to church, we read our Bibles, we give rice and oil to refugees, we lead at youth group, we sponsor kids through compassion, thinking that by doing these things, we can get ourselves on better terms with God. But Jesus says, no, you can't. The problem is inside you. Look at verse 15. Nothing outside a person, Jesus says, can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Uh, And verse 21, for it is within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. What we see on the outside and and do on the outside isn't the main problem. Um, Those things are symptoms of a deep within problem. So if what's on the outside isn't the main issue, then addressing our behaviours and lifestyle and habit misses the point when it comes to having a relationship with God. The problem is within. It's um, The Bible describes it as a heart problem. Our hearts are far from God. Um, who we are deep down is opposed to God. Our being made in God's likeness, in God's image, is corrupted because we've turned away from him. We don't desire God, we don't love God, we don't see the world the way God sees the world. We've lost sight of God and his goodness. And we need to fix our heart. We need to restore our hearts to the way God made them, but we can't. Um, And our efforts to do so are like this. Couldn't find the same car, but anyway, um, it's like this, you know, your car breaks down, the engine light comes on, smoke is pouring from the engine, it's cooked, you can't, you can't go anywhere. And then washing your car over and over and over again won't fix your car's engine problem. 
It's not going to get your car running again. And that's what our efforts are like. Cleaning ourselves up before God doesn't work. It doesn't deal with the problem. And so avoiding certain people who we might think are a bad influence on us or others won't fix our heart. Not watching or listening to certain things won't heal our heart. Going to a Christian school doesn't protect a kid's heart. There's no set of things that you can avoid or tick off that is going to address your heart's opposition towards God. I can't fix me and you can't fix you. We need a heart mechanic, if you like, someone who can heal the sickness of our heart. And that someone is Jesus. Jesus is our heart mechanic. Um, we see such a contrast in these verses. You know, the Pharisees, the, the religious elite, can't wait to get away from the marketplace people. You know, they go, they mix among the marketplace people and then they come away and they have to wash themselves because they feel dirtied by them. But look where Jesus is. In verse 56, they place the sick in the marketplace. They beg Jesus to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. Jesus was among the unclean market folk. And he was allowing everyone to touch him. You know, it's unavoidable as we read through the biographies of Jesus' life that the most loathed, despised, lonely and diseased people who everyone else ran from were the very people Jesus was most drawn to. Jesus isn't picky or exclusive about who comes to him. He's letting anyone and everyone touch him. And that same beautiful truth stands today. Anyone and everyone can come to Jesus. No one needs to clean themselves up to come to Jesus. We come as we are. In the very place we find ourselves, Jesus is there, waiting, wanting us to come to him. And I guess the the best way to think about it is, Jesus dying on the cross is him offering you a new heart, which I know is a strange kind of expression, but what it really means is he's offering himself. When you come to him accepting his offer of forgiveness, the spirit of God dwells in you. And if he dwells inside of you, if God himself has made his home in you, then it's done. It's finished. You are no longer far from God. I mean, you can't get any closer to God. He lives inside you. Jesus' death, his forgiveness, knocks on the door. And if you've invited him in, he's there permanently. He's not going anywhere. And so, how do we draw near to God? How do we interact with God? How do we have an authentic relationship with God? You come to Jesus. In Jesus' death, God is reaching out to you. And by accepting Jesus' forgiveness, you're letting God take your hand. You're inviting him into the home that is you, if you like. Into your heart, the core of who you are. And that is great news. How good is that?
But if we can freely, all the time, anywhere, interact with God, what does it look like? Surely we can still get it wrong, right? You might be thinking, I still sin. I don't always feel close to God. I don't always feel like I'm getting it right. Well, let's deal with some of these things. What does interacting with God actually look like? One, we stop comparing. I think a, a small passage, a small thing this passage brings up is not playing the comparison game, right? which is easier said than done. I'm always comparing myself to others in lots of ways, um, and it's so unhelpful, especially when it comes to my relationship with Jesus. But that's a huge part of the problem that the Pharisees had. Uh, we know from other passages that they, you know, mixed with the town folk um, in the marketplace with the common people, not to help those people, but to show off. You know, they'd pray big prayers for everyone to hear and admire, making sure everyone saw how much that they were giving to the poor and, and how much they were sacrificing for God. Um, also that the crowds would ooh and ah at them and so that they would feel superior and better. And the logic is, if we're doing better than others, then surely God must be impressed with me. But that's a false logic because we've seen in our passage, it's about our hearts. It's not about what we're doing on the outside. Each of us are different people. We've had different upbringings and experiences, and God knows that. He's concerned with where your heart is at with him. And so we focus on ourselves and our own relationship with him, and we stop worrying about what others think. We stop comparing. Um, second, and this is kind of the bigger thing in these verses, is we keep needing Jesus. The temptation is to begin the Christian life needing Jesus, relying on him, but then slip back into relying on ourselves and thinking we need to impress Jesus. But if we didn't need to impress Jesus to get him to come to earth, to die on the cross and be part of our life, then why do we think we need to impress him now that he's with us and part of our life? Well, you might think, well, why does he tell me to follow him then? And trust him more. And listen to his word. What about this? Why does, he, why does he say, avoid these evils? It's the same reason he came to die for us. It's because he loves us and wants what's best for us and this world. We will stuff up. I sin all the time. But I trust that the Jesus who died for me, he knows what is best for me and for others and for this world. He, he loves and cares for this world more than any of us do. And that's why he says these things. When I'm confronted with my own failings, I keep coming to Jesus. Growing as a Christian is much less about the outward appearances. It's about seeing our need for him more and more every day. Every hour, we need Jesus. And I think the most obvious way we express this need is crying out to him in prayer. Um, the, the market people, the crowds, they, 
they beg for Jesus just to touch a bit of his cloak. But we don't have to beg to get just a tiny bit of Jesus. We have all of him all the time. Most of the time, life is hard, confusing, heartbreaking. We need Jesus. Our most common posture as Christians is to be clinging on to Jesus. It's not self-sufficiency. It's not independence. Growing as a Christian means believing more and more deeply that even when we're at our worst, Jesus doesn't leave us or turn his back in disgust or disappointment. The same words Jesus said to his disciple in the boat, he says to us, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. We don't need to be afraid of Jesus, that he'll tire of us, that he'll tire of forgiving us for that same sin, tire of hearing from us or tire of helping us. No, never. That's why he came. So we keep needing Jesus. Third and last, keep trusting God's word. Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for relying on their traditions, the traditions of the elders, um, instead of God's word. And it may be traditions for you. Anglican traditions, um, all saints traditions, family traditions, personal traditions, um, or habits or routines. Not that these are bad in and of themselves. They're usually formed for great reasons, but they can, as Jesus says, nullify or push aside the word of God. They can take precedence over God's word. But it may be other things that you rely on and value over God's word. You might think, I'm not a, I'm not a traditions person at all. Um, but you may value a certain person's opinion over God's word. Maybe even someone in the church. Maybe you value the latest research and, and studies and science about certain things and you set aside God's word and you go, no, this is, this is true. Maybe you've let go of God's ways and are holding on to society's ways or your own personal dreams and ambitions, your own path that you want in life. It's, it's easy to scoff at the Pharisees and think, oh my goodness, they're terrible. Um, or it's easy to judge others and think, oh, I can think of someone who's doing that, who's getting that wrong. But the Bible works best as a mirror. What is it that you are relying on? What is it that you value over God's word? What does it look like to interact with God, to have an authentic relationship with him? It looks like utter dependence. It definitely doesn't look like these sort of things. I can do this on my own. I don't need other Christians or church. You know, I've read the Bible before, been there, done that. It doesn't look like self-sufficiency and independence. It looks like utter dependence. No matter what you do, how you connect with God... It's about your posture. We never stop needing Jesus. So keep relying on him. And it's not always easy. 
we want to rely on ourselves. We feel empowered when we can do things ourselves. But, but maybe instead of asking, you know, how much am I praying? How much am I reading the Bible? Um, did I go to church enough? Or, you know, what else do I need to do? What things can I tick off? Maybe a better question is, how am I depending on God at the moment? What evidence is there that I'm relying on God in my life? How will I rely on him tomorrow? How will I rely on him for this decision? How will I rely on him for this problem? How am I trusting him for this relationship? How am I clinging to Jesus? Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus. I thank you for your your love for us. That though we've turned from you and that our hearts are far from you, you came um, to fix that problem. I thank you that you want to be with us for all eternity. Um, And I pray that we trust you, that we trust your ways, that we would rely on you, that we would know more deeply that we need you. I pray for anyone this morning who is, is feeling far from you. Um, I pray that they would they'd know they can come to you. They don't need to, to clean up their life or, or get things right. That you are just right there, ready to embrace them. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.